Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Glad that we have the opportunity to praise and worship our Father together. Uh, It's always great when we get together, when we spend time together, because we build one another up. And I hope that today already has been one of those times where you can be together, where you can build one another up. So that's one of the the great opportunities that we have with the church, is that we are a family, and we get to work together as a family. Before we begin our lesson, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord our God, we come before you and we thank you for the day that we have to worship you. This day has significance in our lives because we know that many years ago, on this day, that your son was raised from the dead. We thank you for that power that raised him from the dead because we know that we walk in the newness of life, knowing that we have an eternal home waiting for us. Until we get there, Father, I pray that you will help us to walk on this earth, to put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, to overcome the obstacles that we have so that we can see you more fully and clearly. We thank you for your son that you sent to this earth to walk with us so that we know what we are to do to please you. Bear with us when we fail you. Help us overcome our mistakes. We pray this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this month we have been focusing on family. We've come at it from a lot of different angles. I hope that it's been an encouraging time for all of us as we've been thinking about the value of family and what that looks like in our own lives and the people around us. The topic that we're going to look at today uh, in two different angles, two different ways, is a very challenging topic. This morning, I want us to focus for a little bit of our time together on what does it look like when family breaks. This is probably one of the more challenging topics for anyone to speak on or even to address in our own personal lives. And so I want to be aware as we go through the study today, as we think about uh, this topic of when family breaks, that it's challenging. It's very difficult because it hits us in a lot of different ways. When family breaks, we see this emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I'm coming at it from a personal angle today. I come from a very broken family. I know that I have shared that story with you and I've talked with you uh, in many different times about what that really looks like. I know one of the first times that I was here, I shared that personal story with you and in different uh, accounts after that. I come from a broken family of drug addiction, broken marriages, health complications, and a host of other things. I didn't have a father that was in the picture with me because he was overcome with drugs. At a young age in my life, he separated from my family. Later on, he gave up his life because of an overdose on drugs. Family's difficult. I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything. I'm not trying to cover anything up. I'm letting all of us know where we begin is that family is difficult. I don't know everyone's full story of where you come from in this room. I know, encouragingly, I've spoken to many of you that have reached out and you have lifted me up as I've gone through troubles because you have gone through them as well. And that's not for us to pride on and think about all the the complications that we've come through, but we realize that in this world that people make mistakes. 
People make decisions that influence not just themselves, but others around them. And one of the things that we have to realize is that some of the decisions that we make in our lives are going to influence our family. Sometimes that happens emotionally. Sometimes physically. But I dare say every one of them impacts our families in a spiritual way because it can be positive or it can be negative. When I think about my family and where I've come from, and I start comparing even myself to others, I think about not having a particular uh, you know, fatherly role model in my immediate life. But that void has been filled above and beyond because of the church. I have had countless role models and father figures in my life that I, I can literally cannot even count the ones that have come out that have helped me in so many different ways, but that still doesn't fill the exact void of what I missed growing up. But I look back over my life and I do come to a realization that all of the statistics, all of the examples should show that I shouldn't even be here today. I realize, based off of my situation in life and where I've come from, that I shouldn't even have a belief in God. You know, if you look at some of the more leading atheists in our world today, uh, there's a group of them that are considered the four horsemen of the atheist society. You look into their backgrounds, you look at some of the defining moments in their life. Many of them come from broken families. Three out of the four leading atheists come from homes without fathers in their lives. Lives plagued with rampant immorality. There's a book uh, entitled The Making of an Atheist, and it's a very small book. And the author uh, delineates in that book about some of the leading atheists, or even ones that you don't know that even sit next to you, or ones that lose their faith, step away from the faith, ones that step away from a relationship with God. What is it in their lives that leads them to a broken life? Why do they decide to step away? And he, he goes through some of those causes, and one of the, the defining characteristics is a broken family. We see it very obviously in our own lives. What our decisions, what they produce. And so the, the, the angle that I want to come at today, and the way that I want to observe it together, is that we realize that family is important. And I want to talk about it very cautiously, because I know that this literally hits home with each and every one of us when we think about what does it look like when families break. But this is not a time for us to critique one another, to look out and say how we would handle someone else's situation better because we don't know what we would do in some of those situations unless we are right there with the rubber meets the road. So we need... The only person that we can really answer for in these moments is ourselves. And so I want to use the time this morning to do a personal assessment for ourselves on what does it look like or what are some causes, what are some things that we can avoid or what are some things that we can establish that can help us grow better families but also be prepared when the world comes crashing down around us or around those that are living in close proximity to us. We would have to be blind not to realize that there are people sitting in these pews today that are hurting. I get it. I may not fully understand it, but I get it. There are people here that are hurting, that are going through difficult times. 
That's part of the result of the fallen world that we live in. I mean, you think back in the very beginning with Adam and Eve living in the garden, having everything that they could ever desire right there in front of them. Having the ease of life almost seems like that they were right there, yet they chose to follow after sin. And because of that, that they went through some difficult times. Our lesson tonight is going to be dealing with that. Will's going to look at uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and what does their family unit look like. But we begin to see a pattern from the very beginning that we choose and we make decisions that influence others. From the very beginning, we see what happened from the fall of the garden to continually, time after time, people making decisions that influence them and others. So that's why we've been so focused here at Dalreda this month about trying to build up our families. Trying to be better and to look down the road of what more can we do to help each other and help ourselves. And this is just not for those that are married. This is those that are looking down the road of a potentially raising a family. Uh, you know, becoming married and, and having children. All of those things together, that's just part of what we are prepared to do. God designed us in that way. He designed us to be family units. When he created man, he said, you know, that that, uh, the creation of man was very good and, and what we were supposed to do, be fruitful and multiply and to raise families because that's one of the great things that we have, that we have the opportunity to raise up our kids, to encourage our spouses to be better. We get to raise a Christian household. We get to be together in our own family units, one of the greatest places that we have influence, that we can build one another up. We need to take hold of those opportunities. But we also need to realize that as we come through those opportunities, we may not always make the best decisions. You know, intellectually, I think we know what a family is. If you haven't figured out over the course of, you know, this month as we've talked about some of these lessons, going from fortifying the family and and each one of the, the sections that we've looked at of how a family is to work, I think intellectually we know what a family should look like and what it should be. And even how to maintain it. We can go to the scriptures and we say, okay, this is God's design for marriage. We're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 and chapter 5. Where chapter 5 where he sets up what the relationship between Christ and the church looks like. And that's what we are to emulate in our own homes. And then in chapter 6 he says, you be prepared. You make the right decisions. You take up the full armor of God so that you can go into battle. Whether it's in your homes or in the world around us. We know that God has given us clear definitions for what a family looks like. But we also have to realize that when the rubber meets the road, we don't always live up to the perfect model. And we don't always make the best decisions. So as we're dealing with the topic today, when families break, as many statistics as we want to throw out of how many marriages end divorce, as many statistics as we want to throw out of how to raise kids and what does that look like in the long run, we're going to have to make decisions in our lives regardless of what the statistics say of what kind of person we want to be. So let's ask the question, what leads to families being broken? You know, if I were to ask each one of us individually, what, what do you think from your observations, from your demographic? Some of you are, uh, have been married for a great number of years. You live in an uh, a empty nester household. You see your kids being raised up. You have great grandkids. You, know, you see that from your observation, if I were to ask you, what does it look like when, when families break? What are some of the leading causes? Your definition or your explanation would be a lot different versus someone that hasn't even gone into that stage yet. You ask a kid in the youth group, 
with friends around them that are having broken homes or ones that are coming through broken homes themselves and you say, what do you think are some of the leading causes? I think it would be very different. But similar as well because we're coming from different vantage points. We see things in different ways. But what are some of the characteristics? What, what do you think would be the commonality when we ask, how do families fall apart or why do they fall apart? What are some of these leading causes? You know, God is, God is love. We know the greatest definition of love because He's given it to us and He's shown us above and beyond by sending you know, His Son into the world to die for us. He's given us explicit definitions in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 1 John chapter 4. He shows us that you know, this is love that a man would lay down his life for someone. This is love that you know, it produces this characteristic. It's one of the, the fruits of the Spirit that we know what love is, but we can also see the absence of love. One of the leading causes of why a family would break apart. And this is not necessarily just talking about a husband and wife broken relationship leading to uh, you know, complications later on, but even between siblings. Between kids and their parents, why does a family fall apart? I think one of the leading causes is an improper understanding or maybe a, a lack of love. If we know what the pure definition and example of love is, is this something that we try and emulate in our lives? But you go and you think, all right, what else? What else you know, can destroy a family? What about the time that we spend together? How does our time with one another really... How does it really matter? Why does it really matter? The time that we spend with our spouses, the time that we spend with our kids, what will that produce later down the road? What about parents that may not be there all the time? There for one another and there for their kids? What about children that are neglected of, their, of a loving household? One that is maybe filled with strife and anger or one that's just absent? What about people that are led away with various coping mechanisms? But we realize that we look in our world today, look at the amount of substance abuse that's there. Personally speaking, I see a family that's very broken from that. In the past month, I lost a cousin that comes from... She, had, she was born with health complications because her mom was on drugs. And she passed away at nine years old because of a decision like that. We see what substance abuses do in people's lives. We see broken lives around us because of that. But it's more than just a drug addiction. You think about other ways that people cope by using things of this world instead of going above and outside of this world. Those coping mechanisms can look very different in people's lives, whether it is alcoholism. Maybe it's sexuality. Maybe it's a whole host of other things that are carnal in nature that we try and find our identity and our approval and an escape from the conflicts of this world. We can see that around us and maybe even times in our lives where we have gone to things of this world instead of things that are outside of this world. What about a lack of communication between people, between spouses and children? What about other 
things that you would throw in the mix. If we were to put as a heading an umbrella term of stress, what causes stress in our lives? You know, I talk to our college students, and I, I think this is a big transition time in a college student's life, that when you leave your house and you go and you're part of college and you go back home, things look different. You realize how quickly your parents are aging, how quickly your grandparents are aging. You know, I see it every time I go back home, and it seems like I get you know, a text message every so often that talks about you know, the health complications. Our bodies aren't meant to last, and because of that, that produces stress. You know, one of the defining characteristics of uh, like the baby boomer, baby boomer generations right now is taking care of those aging parents. Many of you are going through that or have recently gone through some of the, the greatest losses in your life because of it. It produces stress. It puts a, a great amount of stress on our families and on our own personal health. We think about finances. We think about our desire to take care of our family, to to go above and beyond and provide for as much as we can, to do as much as we can, but we also see what that can produce and what the lack of that can produce, and it it brings about stress. Raising children, raising a, a family produces a lot of stress. You're responsible for taking this individual and helping them make the right decisions in life. From a very young age all the way up, you're responsible for training and shaping and molding and helping them to become what they need to become. That produces a lot of stress in our lives. How about we just want to throw in there just life in general is difficult. We just run in some small complications that all of a sudden can blossom and turn into a lot of stress. These are factors that I think that we see in our own lives that begins to put strain and tension on us individually and the people around us. And I think ultimately they put strains and divisions between us and God. I'm not talking about things that are beyond us. These are things that all of us can relate to because they're happening right around us. And that's why I want to be very careful as we go through this lesson and we think about this together is that we're all hurting. And we're all thinking about how we can be better and what more can we do. You know, I think about the very fact of Jesus coming to this earth to take on flesh. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We've already had this read in our hearing, but I wanted to to think about it again as well. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 11. I want us to pay attention to what Jesus decided to do. Paul's writing to the church and he's encouraging them. And he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is bringing us back to a focus exclusively on Jesus. That If we're going to get any kind of comfort and encouragement from the world that we're in today, we need to find it in Jesus because he's going to offer us something that is above and beyond, even outside of ourselves. Later on in the same book, in chapter 4, he's going to tell us that we're going to have a peace that is above our understanding. So he he focuses back on Christ. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ Jesus, 
Do you see what he's doing? He's like, look, if we're going to have any kind of hope and consolation in this earth, we're going to have to have it in something that's more stable outside of ourselves. If it was left up to us to make all of our own decisions, you'll see how we get ourselves in so much trouble over and over again. Yet what he's telling us, he said, look at what Jesus was willing to do and what he modifies and what he, he sets a model for in our life that this is what we're supposed to be about. It's not about us, it's about others. So don't be selfish, don't be conceited, don't lack humility. And he says in verse 6, speaking of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let it sink in exactly what Jesus did. He left heaven and came to live among broken men. Taking on humanity to show us, essentially, I am with you and I will provide a better way for you. Look at Jesus in His ministry. If you're going to pick one of the Gospel accounts and just work through it and think about some of the scenarios that Jesus is placed in, I, I, I think about the book of Luke. Luke has this ability to show us exactly what does it look like when Jesus comes in contact with a broken world. He faces some of the greatest uh, challenges that people are going to go through. He, he heals them in their health complications. He, he gives them advice as they're going through challenges. He makes them rethink some of their decisions to, to rework some of their life's goals. And he interacts with all of men. He goes to the most depraved. He goes to some of the most uh, you know, overwhelmed in our society. He goes to people that are, are outcasts because of their situation in life. And he brings them back to where they're supposed to be. Jesus goes into the world to show them this is what God desires. He wants us to go to the furthest extent so that we can bring people to God. That was Jesus' entire goal in this world is to bring us to the Father. I think about his prayer in John chapter 17. He breaks it into three separate sections. He talks about his relationship with the Father. He says, I came to this world and I hope to have glorified you in the midst of it. He says, then I have chosen uh, those 12 apostles and I have given them information so that they may go into the world and continue what I started. Then the third part of John chapter 17, he says, what they have passed on to others and what has continued to where we are today is that we are all given the opportunity to unite Men back to the Father. Jesus is about reconciliation. He wants to help us through our challenges and through our brokenness to get back to the Father. And so I want us to picture Philippians chapter 2 as we think about what do we do when the world comes crashing around us or maybe when our family begins to hurt. I think it comes down to two different things as we are trying to decide and make the right decisions in life. Two terms that stick out to me, and they've been very vivid in my life recently, and I've been trying to try and really flesh these out of what it looks like. I think a lot of decisions that we make in life, we don't understand what they're going to produce until later on down the road. 
So in hindsight, okay, so as you're raising kids, and you think later on down the road, okay, the way that I did, you know, raise my kids in this way, it produced this. You step back on the end of things, you look back over the course of your children's life, and you say, because I did this and this and this, this is why my child is the way that they are today. I mean, that's just part of it. Hindsight, or how did I end up where I am today? What does my, what does my job look like it is today? In hindsight, we look back over our individual decisions or some of those greater decisions that we've done in life, and we say, oh, that's where I've ended up, and that's how I am in the situation I'm in today, whether good or bad. We use hindsight. We look back at that. But I think one of the challenges that we need to put on ourselves is to implement a little bit more foresight. Instead of looking back over our decisions, we need to think in the midst of our decisions, what will this produce in me later down the road? What will this yield later on in my family? But I think foresight is one of the more challenging aspects of our lives. But this is why God has given us the biblical model for everything in life. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Listen to what Peter says. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I, I love how Peter begins this second letter that he's writing. He's telling us, God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Why is there a distinction between those two things? You know, I think about some of the greatest uh, pieces of literature that we have comes from the Bible that, that is able to focus on how the world operates. I love the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Sit down and read the book of Proverbs, and if you want to know what he's talking about, he says that his divine nature is granted us everything that pertains to life, Read the book of Proverbs and you'll find so many aspects of the, the life uh, being brought into one book about how we need to make better choices and what more we need to do. And so I love that about the scriptures, that it gives us a model for what life should look like. One that's free from the things of this world and is completely devoted to God. And that's why he gives us the second aspect. And he says, divine, and not, um, divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If we want to know how to make good choices, we need to know what pleases God the most. God has given us the biblical model so that we don't have to look back over our decisions, that we can look forward to what kind of person do I want to be and what do I want to accomplish or how can I overcome and maybe avoid challenges down the road. He gives us foresight by giving us His Scriptures. So we need to be able to take these and assimilate them into our lives. When I think about brokenness, when I think about families breaking and some of the greatest challenges, I think about the book of Corinthians. So G Paul has already told us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, you look at 
the husband-wife relationship, and this is Christ and His church. He's already given us that great mystery is what He calls it in Ephesians 5. And if you were to take that same way of thinking and think about how Paul interacts with the church. I think about one of the more difficult situations Paul was put in was his interaction with the Corinthian church. The Corinthians had a bad problem of division. Paul begins his book in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 by telling them, look, you have divisions among you. And this should not be so. What are some of the reasons why the Corinthian church had divisions? What's the first thing that he pinpoints on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? They have the wrong allegiance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. They had the wrong allegiance. They weren't being united together. Go back over some of the complications that we've seen in our families of why people fall apart, why families fall apart. It's an improper allegiance. It's one that's not grounded on the Father, but on ourselves. And so if we want to think about what do we do when families fall apart, what do we do when things come crashing in around us, we need to be able to assess our allegiance. Who do we really answer to in our lives? The second thing that we need to realize is how do we make the decisions that we do? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of those who preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ the uh, power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I love verse 25 because he's telling us, look, even if God had a weakness, it would still be stronger than us. I think another problem and something that we need to do in order to resolve the situation of our brokenness, whose wisdom are we using? When we go through complications, who do we ask first? Do we go to advice of others or we go to the advice of God and what He has to offer us? God's already been in our midst before. He's walked in our very presence And He has shown us that He can overcome the world. God has already shown us by example that even if He were to have a weakness, it's still stronger. Even if God was foolish in any aspect, He's still wiser than men. If we want to know how to resolve situations in our lives, we need to be able to go to the one that has all the answers. So we need to check our allegiance. We need to find where are we getting answers from. But then we also need to start thinking spiritually. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
We need to check our allegiance of who are we really trying to devote ourselves to? Is it to are we devoting ourselves to our passions and our desires? Are we trying to, to go towards God? Where are we seeking advice? Is it from men or is it from the Father? In order to receive what He has to say in our lives, we need to start thinking spiritually. But what does that mean to think spiritually? We know about God because He has given us His mind. The Scriptures reveal God's will to us. Shows us what God is thinking and what He intends. And He says the spiritual person is one who takes the mind of God and lives it out. If we want to be better and we want to do better, we need to change our thinking from man to spiritually discerning what God has given us. So what is Paul's remedy for helping the church? Making them see their actions. The last thing that I want to show you in his introduction and what I'm trying to get us to see and challenge ourselves comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Look at what Paul says here, starting in verse 9. He says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. When Paul was challenging the Corinthian church, he says, what are you adding? Really, what, what are you contributing? What, what are you doing that is going towards the building up of the church or the division of the church? He makes them assess what materials they bring to the construction. He says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He challenges him. He says, what are you doing? What are you adding to the division? Or what are, you help, what are you doing to help mend things? I think Paul's advice, and this is just his introduction. He goes in and he starts dealing with specific instances and situations in the time of the church. He tells him, what are you doing to help or hurt the situation? And I think that is one of the greatest challenges that each one of us individually need to ask. What can I do to be better? What can I do to look more like Christ in my life? So as we take what Paul says here and we bring it back around to the situation that we're dealing with, how do we handle when things are falling in around us? I go back to what I told you before. I come from a broken family. According to the statistics, I shouldn't be standing before you today. I shouldn't even care about God at all. But Christ came to this world to save sinners. Christ came to be the great physician that is able to heal the sick. Christ came to seek out sinners so that He may save them. Christ took on flesh, came in the midst of us so that He may redeem us. If it was up to us, if it was up to us to make our own decisions, to do anything at all, none of us should actually be here today. But Christ came to show us a more perfect way. He comes in, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If we want to resolve, if we want to be better, if we want to overcome anything in life, we have to go 
to the one that controls everything. We have to go to the Father and put our identity and our allegiance in Him, not in ourselves. If it was up to us, how many of us would actually be here if it was up to our own passions and our own desires? But the fact is that we have tried to take on the mind of Christ. We have tried to think more like God. We have tried to take His wisdom. We have tried to think and be more like Him. And if we want to overcome some of the greatest challenges in our families and our lives, we need to think, how can I live like Jesus here? I know there's many of us that are hurting today. Many of us that are going through some of the greatest challenges that we probably can't even articulate correctly. There may be no one else in this room that is able to relate to you fully except for the Father. 